we're going to be looking at uh, what are those things that are necessary ingredients to uh, lead a life that's blessed by God. Some Christians never figure that out. Did you ever think about that? You know, they just, they come to know Christ as their Savior, uh, and they anticipate or assume that, well, I guess I can just go on living my life like I did before, and everything will turn out just fine. And, uh, and yet, I have uh, been reminded time and time again in working with people that God has set up all of life in cause and effect. Um, as much as I want to go up, when you fall off a roof, you will go down. <laughs> it's cause and effect. And God has set up his spiritual laws that way as well, and uh, by cause and effect. You live a certain way, you make certain decisions that are not honoring to the Lord, and there's going to be negative consequences. And so uh, uh, we'll look at Psalm 15 that, uh, <clears throat> uh, for our consideration this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your kindness this morning. And uh, thank you so much for being able to meet together. Uh, we do pray for Greg this morning that, uh, Lord, as he finishes up the conference down there, that you might give him great liberty in his spirit, that you might give him great effectiveness as he communicates and ultimately that there might be fruit that is had both in the life of believers as well as those believers that will reach unbelievers as a result of what was shared today. And, uh, and then we ask your blessing on our time this morning. May you be honored and glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, thought I would share with you, this just happened all in the last two, three weeks. Uh, and uh, the Lord just laid it on my heart to share a human interest story with you. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a, a first cousin of mine who has been in medical research all of her life reach out to me with a Bible question. She lives in Philadelphia. She's a PhD. And she was one of the references I used uh, in when I was having, uh, when the University of Utah was suggesting a VP shunt be inserted in my brain. I called her and I said, you know, what's the deal? You know, tell me about this. And you've been in medical research and all your life and I trust you and you're my cousin. And, and uh, so anyway, she was a great help. She said, well, I'm not really familiar with that procedure, but give me 48 hours, I'll get back with you. So she did. And she says, Dom, you are in the best hands at the University of Utah. And uh, I said, okay. Well, anyway, that came back. And the reason why is she got acquainted with a friend of a friend who believed some, I don't want to put her in a bad light or the friend, but some pretty bizarre stuff. And, and my cousin was at a loss because these people were using the Bible and quoting verses. And, uh, and then she sent me the, the uh, links to websites, and I realized they weren't really bona fide websites at all. They were just uh, uh, a, an outfit called WordPress where you go to their site, you get a template for a website, and now you you're up and running. And so it was probably individuals or people. And so she was wondering, and... Uh, uh, and I won't tell you the subject matter, but I thought, you know, I, I really want to use this as a platform to talk to Linda. Uh, she, out of all my first cousins, she's probably the one that I've remained closest to. 
And so she says, yeah, I even feel foolish reaching out to you, but I thought, who, who can I ask? When you, you asked me about, you know, my medical research, I thought, well, you've taught the Bible all your life, and maybe you could be of help. And so anyway, that precipitated a lot of texting, several emails, ultimately two phone calls. And uh, the end result of all that <coughs> was that uh, uh, I walked her through several passages of Scripture and how these people were twisting these passages of Scripture and why they were twisting them. And then I talked her through the difference between heresy and apostasy. Heresy is simply truth out of balance. A lot of cults and uh, Christian movements use that. Apostasy is where I just, you know, turn my back and walk away. And, uh, and then I said, but let me ask you this, Linda. I said, Linda, uh, is it safe to say that in your medical research, you have certain guidelines and principles that guide your research so that you don't wind up in left field with just bizarre conclusions that deny basic facts and science and medicine? She said, oh, absolutely. I said, well, we have those in theology as well. Those are called hermeneutics. I said, I don't care if you remember the name uh, after we hang up, but hermeneutics are the principles that govern my Bible study as I study the scriptures that give me the framework that I don't wind up in left field because I go to a verse and say, you know, this seems to be saying that, but maybe I should compare that to the rest of what scripture teaches so that I don't wind up in left field with my theological conclusions. And I said, that's exactly what these people are doing. She says, we use that all the time. That's deductive reasoning instead of inductive reasoning. I said, absolutely right. Really resonated with her. And she said, you have no idea how that put me at peace. Linda's not a believer. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, then she followed up. But I, I was just thrilled that I, I, I had been praying for days. I thought, Lord, I don't know how to approach this with Linda. Because years ago, like four decades ago, we had spiritual conversations about her need for Christ. But now she's not only a parent, she's a grandparent and, uh, and has questions. And uh, so we left that door open. But the Lord brings her to mind, pray for Linda. And uh, that's fresh on my mind from this past week because that last conversation, and she sent me, uh, it was just this week, then she sent, followed up with a text and a, an email just thanking me so much. That, that just made so much sense and put my soul at ease. And uh, so th those are always heartwarming things. Now, in the, uh, as a backdrop to Psalm 15, and I want to be respectful of our time, this is not going to be uh, what Pastor Greg often talks about, a verse-by-verse -verse study. <laughs> okay, this is going to be kind of a summary of Psalm 15 and how maybe we can apply some principles in Psalm 15 to our lives. <clears throat> When I got, uh, was a young Christian uh, at the age of 18, 19, 20, 21, I got plugged into a church in Detroit soon after I got saved at the age of 19. And, uh, and I remember in those uh, pr uh, primary years as a young Christian, and, and I, I'm a people watcher, and, and so I would zero in on these men that were leaders. They were, some were elders, some were deacons, but men that I would consider spiritual giants because I grew up in a very dysfunctional home, violent home. And so I didn't know what a Christian marriage and family is supposed to look like. And, uh, 
So anyway, uh, that was, uh, I, I would keep my eyes open, and I thought, well, how, how did they get there? How did they get there? To me, they were like spiritual giants. They were strong, they were stable, they were spiritual, they were God-fearing, they loved their wives, they were trying to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And uh, at that time, they were really old. You know, they were in their 60s. And, uh, but I, to me, they, they, I mean, I was in my 20s. And, uh, but I determined, even though I didn't know a whole lot, that that's what I want to be. So as we delve into a few things in Psalm 15, I would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> Whether we're talking about, you know, growing up in years or growing up in your spiritual maturity, because hopefully we're all growing, right? If we're under the teaching of the Word of God. So you can follow along as I read Psalm 15. Only five verses. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Now he answers it. Two rhetorical questions. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right speaks the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Uh, in another place, David said, I am a friend of all those who fear the Lord. <laughs> and uh, that's a good thing to practice, not only that we teach our children that, but that we as adults practice that as well. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. And I want you to specifically zero in on that last verse and just ask you the question and ask yourself the question, is that the kind of Christian I want to be? That from the package of truth that I was given as a young Christian, that I don't want to move from that. If it's God's word and he's convinced me that it is, am I going to stick with it? Uh, you remember when Pastor Greg was preaching through Ephesians, and uh, in chapter 4 he talked about gifted men given to the church, uh, and uh, in that he, he, he talks about the positive in that chapter, that is that uh, uh, we're supposed to be uh, ex ex exhorting uh, and edifying the body so that it all fits together and grows up into a mature uh, uh, if you will, um, church, believer. And on the negative, he says, and so that you won't be tossed about to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That, that shows immaturity. Well, now, well, this year I believe this, and next year I believe that, or um, that, that's what an immature person does. Uh, but what does he say here? And we're going to look at a corresponding passage in the New Testament at the end of our lesson. But this is one of those places <clears throat> where it doesn't, it's not proper grammar in English, but it is proper grammar in the original language. And that is that it's a double negative. And uh, I even like to emphasize it even more uh, because in, in, in the Italian language you can do that. 
You, you shall know not never. <laughs> but in English, you say, you, you never do that. You, don't, you never double up negatives. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, in Yunyoros, as we read those verses, A, it's addressed to God. Um, and uh, it's David, of course. He's addressing it to God. It's reading the heart of God. It's not like God is answering, but it's David at the place of his maturity, reading into it from the heart of God as far as how he, how he sees and, and uh, foresees what God wants from him. And he answers with accordance with the mind of God. It's not necessarily with the temporary in mind, but rather with the eternal. Who, who's going to do this? Who, who's going to be this person? And... Uh, uh, anyway, uh, for your sake, uh, the person, uh, I, I, the, my, the way I've remembered this passage is that this identifies a person who enjoys God's fellowship and intimacy and is the one who has a heart and life that is right. Now, of all the believers you know, is that every believer's desire? That is, that they want to enjoy God's fellowship every day, day in and day out, from the moment they're saved until the moment they go to heaven. And the answer is no. I, I've been a pastor long enough to know that some people get a great start out of the gate and different things happen. Matthew 13 identifies what some of those things are in the parable of the sower, right? There's the distractions that Satan throws in the way and uh, gets me off track, and I forget what's most important in uh, my walk with God. <clears throat> but if I'm going to be this kind of person, because if the conclusion is, he who does these things shall never be moved, I say, that's what I want. That's what I want. Then we need to backtrack and say, okay, well, well what are the things that are most important in this text? So again, this is just a summary. In the question, he asks, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? So he's really identifying for particularly the Old Testament saint the place of worship. Um, the tabernacle that moved around, the temple, uh, uh, ultimately as a New Testament believer, the synagogue, and uh, who, who, who's going to dwell? Who's going to enjoy God's presence and God's fellowship? Who is that person? Because the fact is, not every b believer enjoys that. Now, they have the potential of enjoying that, but they don't necessarily enjoy it day in and day out. Let me give you an example. Uh, over 41 years ago, I stood on the altar of my with my bride. At the, on that day, a union took place between Elaine and I. But you know, I'm still learning about unity. <laughs> because that's a lifelong process, right? Unity. You, you have a union, but now I'm learning to be, you know, the kind of husband where we enjoy unity together. Because it's not automatic. Nor is it automatic with God. And... Uh, and sometimes there's those things 
after a year of being saved or three years or five years, Satan throws some wrenches in the works that get me off track. But the first uh, area that I'd like to identify for us this morning, just in the few moments we have, is the area of, of character. Uh, because this fellowship has to do with uh, Zion. He mentions that in the previous chapter, previous psalm, Psalm 14. And by the way, in Psalm 14, he contrasts uh, a, a righteous generation with the wicked generation. And, uh, but in verse 7, he says, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. And, and so that takes him into Psalm 15, where David asks these two questions. So character. Notice what he, uh, just reviewing in verse 2, he who walks blamelessly does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Speaks the truth in his heart. Now, I'm going to mention this, but just in case I forget it at the end, as we work our way through this, beloved, uh, understand this. We're talking about the nitty-gritty of being a spirit-filled Christian, okay? Some people can misunderstand uh, that the spirit-filled Christian is a person who lives by all kinds of rules. I, I, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I, but I do do this, and I do do that, and, and therefore it becomes uh, very legalistic in their approach of how they live. Uh, that is not at all what David is suggesting in this psalm. Uh, he, is, he does put in there that the kind of person I need to be. You remember in uh, Matthew when he talks about the Beatitudes? Uh, the Beatitudes is what I be, right? Or what I am. It's not what I do. But having been a part of a mission organization for uh, over 40 years now, I recognize in our Western culture, we often uh, conclude or assume that spirituality has to do with what I do. Well, I do this, and I do that, and I do that, and I do that. Well, I, I guess that makes me a spiritual person. Well, been around the block enough times that not necessarily. Because, see, this is what I am in my heart. And because of what I am in my heart, then it's going to affect areas in here. It has to do with character. Obviously, the one, the first one is worship. The second one has to do with uh, uh, the idea of my will, the very essence of the law towards God and man, where he says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart. Um, so his will. Uh, and the, but then also, uh, when he says, uh, he, he, he speaks the truth in his heart, the idea of not only his will, but then he goes on uh, in verse 3 with regard to my behavior under this whole thing of character. But see, it starts internally. I've often shared with people that I was a religious person before I got saved. Went to church regularly. I, I did all the things that my religious organization demanded of me. I was studying to be a priest when I got saved. 
And so I know what it means to be religious and go to church, but being lost. I was lost. And, uh, uh, but you see, religion tries to change you from the outside in. Christianity or experiencing a new birth is what changes me from the inside out, right? Because the Spirit of God comes and indwells me. He takes up residence in me, and because I am his child and he dwells in me, now he begins to change me. And so you, many of you know the children's song, whether they, your kids learned it at camp or here. You know, I no longer do the things I used to do. I no longer say the things I used to say. Well, not because I, I, I just, you know, there were things, um, my vocabulary when I got saved and having been in the army was very, very poor. <laughs> there were some things that dropped off very quickly when I got saved. And then there was other things that took a while. They took a while. You see, but it was just yielding to the Spirit of God and allowing Him to change me. And so it affected, he says, that he walks uprightly. He does what is right, and he walks blamelessly and does what is right, and speaks the truth in his heart. That has to do with the inward motive. Again, character. Uh, <clears throat> notice he doesn't say at the end of that verse that he speaks the truth with his heart, but he speaks the truth in his heart, right? Uh, that is, that as I saturate myself with the Word of God and I begin to violate or disobey areas, the Word of God, my spirit, or his spirit bearing witness with my spirit causes me to want to obey him. But it starts with the Word of God. If I don't have the Word of God hidden in my heart, guess what? I don't have much of a resource to draw from. But you see here, he says, that you speak the truth in your heart. So there's character. Character. Uh, people who are much smarter than I have defined character in uh, one of two ways here. One is it's who you are or what you are in the dark when nobody else can see you. And that's the second part, is how you would respond if no one else knew. If no one else knew. Um, does that matter to God? Yeah, absolutely. And so solid character has to start. That's where we start. Solid character that God develops in me as a spiritual child of God that wants to walk with him. The second arena uh, is given to us in verse 3, which has to do primarily with conduct. So it's not so much uh, character, but conduct. He says, who does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Now you notice how he shifted from the positive to the negative. Okay? I love many passages that the Bible does that. Uh, because, again, in our 20th century Western Christian understanding, we tend to make it all negative. <laughs> well, God doesn't do that. So he tells us, first of all, this, verse 1 and 2, this is what you 
have to do. You have to behave this way. You have to have this kind of character. But on the other hand, because you have that desire and passion to honor God in this way, there are other things that you will not do. And uh, have to do, number one, with my speech. With my speech. I mentioned to you when I first got saved, my, my, no one would have known by my vocabulary that I was a believer. But I knew that God had transformed me in my heart. No question about it. That night I knelt down by my bedside and asked Christ to save me. But there was some stuff that the Spirit of God had to throw out. And uh, there, were a, there was a lot of it. Some of it, like I say, dropped off very quickly. Uh, other things uh, w- was over a period of time. So the words that I should be using or uh, shouldn't be using, uh, the way I talk about people or about God, for that matter, so speech. And again, we're not spending a lot of time on these words. We could, we could do that. The second one is action. Because he says, and does no evil to his neighbor. Now here, obviously in the Bible, uh, the idea of neighbor is not necessarily the person who lives next door to me. (laughs) Uh, It goes beyond that. Uh, But he does no evil to his neighbor. And uh, the very uh, idea of uh, evil to his neighbor, one that who bound by ties of a relationship, whoever that person might be. Might be saved, might be unsaved. Uh, But uh, it is ultimately the essence of the ninth and tenth commandment. Uh, How I treat my horizontal relationships with my fellow man. First few are my vertical relationship with God, right? The Ten Commandments. But then it moves to the, uh, the, uh, the horizontal. And uh, so speech is the first one. Secondly is the idea of action, evil to his neighbor, uh, not just in those who are closest to me, but just uh, my fellow man uh, uh, at large. And then thirdly is the idea of attitude, uh, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. Um, um, the idea of uh, uh, that we can follow into resentment, revenge, to bring reproach on anyone, load anyone with reproach. The actual definition of the word is cause for blame, discredit, or disgrace. Um, a child of God that's guarding his speech and his actions and his attitudes doesn't do that. Uh, Now, does that mean that we ignore the wickedness of people? Well, no, that's not what it's saying. But it's saying a person who is right with God and wants to honor God in those relationships with his fellow man uh, is going to have the right kind of speech and action and attitude. Uh, I I jotted down a note uh, before we switched to the... uh, the third area that he mentions here, uh, does our behavior identify me as a Christian? That is, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a God-fearing Christian? Whoever that might be, a saved, unsaved person, 
say, you know, there's something different about them. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I know there's something different. See? Uh, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a, a God-fearing Christian? And then uh, lastly, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5, and, uh, and then we'll draw some applications here in the next few moments. <clears throat> in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt, and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Now, I mentioned to you that uh, now it's very easy to draw uh, a, a wrong conclusion to this text and say, well, this is nothing more than legalism. <laughs> and that's not what David is talking about here. Because none of us are going to bat a thousand just like he didn't bat a thousand if we examine his life, right? But he's talking about the person who is going to enjoy God's fellowship day in and day out, month after month, year after year, over a lifetime, from A to Z, is the person who practices this kind of behavior or actions or attitudes over a lifetime. Uh, has to do with preference of people. Uh, that where he talks about a vile person is despised, and yet he honors those who fear the Lord. Uh, you know where to pick your battles. You know how to pick your friends. Uh, and uh, because that's important to God. And it should be important to you. And uh, so preference with people. Uh, also, he talks about my uh, position on promises. Because this has to do all with uh, scriptural or grounded convictions. Number one, I have a conviction about how I treat people, okay? Uh, and uh, that I don't show preference because of who they are, what they look like, what nationality they're from. And all of us have to grow in that, okay? Uh, but the second area is position on promises because he says, uh, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Does not change. Now, even though my father was a lost man, there's one thing that you could count on my father. If he told you something, he would follow through on it, even if it cost him a great deal. And so he taught us that. And I was lost at the time. He was lost at the time. But that was just something that was ingrained in us. But may I suggest to you, as time has gone on, that's not quite so important to people. That is that they follow through on their promises and their vows. The Bible uses the word vows, but promises, when I give my word. Those of you that are parents, you learn very quickly that you, you may say something to your child that you didn't consider to be a promise, but then they come back a day or two later and say, but you promised. <laughs> and you say, well, not, not really. I didn't really promise, right? Because uh, you didn't necessarily use the word. Uh, but uh, here, even if it causes me hurt to myself, I follow through on my promises. And then lastly is the idea of how I, how I function in my financial matters of life, where he, he, he does not put out his money at interest nor takes a bribe 
against the innocent. Now, to be sure, uh, <clears throat> uh, Phariseeism, what they practiced is one was unreasonable uh, interest. And they would take advantage of people. And uh, Jesus called them on the carpet for that. So it wasn't just interest, it was unreasonable interest, and particularly from those who were down and out. And, and so here he says, you, you do not put your money out, and you, we might fill in the word, an unreasonable interest. We pay interest, and sometimes you receive interest on money that is owed to you. And uh, nor do you take a bribe against the innocent. And uh, why? Because they're less fortunate. And then he gives this promise, this principle. He who does these things shall never be moved. Now, as we bring this to a close, please take your Bibles and turn to First Peter or Second Peter chapter 1. And uh, I'm just going to read a few verses way in the back of your Bible. And uh, I've often wondered, having studied Second Peter, if Peter didn't have this passage in mind, that is Psalm 15, when he wrote the words in Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to start reading <clears throat> in verse uh, 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Does that sound familiar? Now, different virtues, for sure, from Psalm 15 to 2 Peter 1. But I can't help but think that maybe Peter had that in mind. And he says, rather than being an immature Christian that isn't growing, and therefore you're confirming that you're a child of God, and you're growing and becoming more like Christ, as it's God's will in Romans 8.29 to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus, for every Christian that I can look back at my life and say, yes, in the last year, in the last five years, the last 10 years, by God's grace, by his grace, I'm more like Jesus than I was before. And so just a, a challenge for us today when we think about, you know, becoming more like Jesus, how is it going for us? Because uh, in every church, there's a philosophy of ministry. We have a philosophy of ministry here. You may not know what it is, but the fact is we're trying to bruise not just Christians, but a certain kind of Christian that's strong and stable and solid and spiritual and fathers who are spiritual leaders in their home, wives who know how to function in their family, and that's the kind of Christian. Why? Because we have a goal in mind. And part of that certainly feeds into these two arenas.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just these few things we've studied today. We've certainly raced through them, but I pray that you might just impress on our hearts individually perhaps uh, some things that we've never considered before of uh, as uh, we often get off track in our walk with you. Guide and direct us. May your spirit lead us and convict us where we need it. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.